Today, we're gonna to talk about some of the things that lawyers do on a day-to-day -day basis, personal injury lawyers do on a day-to-day -day basis. This is gonna form part of a series where we talk about what we do behind the scenes for our clients. I'm Andrew Iacobelli. I'm a personal injury lawyer with Iacobelli Law Firm. My name is Colton Lung, and I'm a personal injury lawyer with Iacobelli Law Firm. On this show, we talk about your rights if you've been injured or involved in an accident in Ontario. So today, I'm going to be talking about what's known as a deposition, or in other words, an examination for discovery. This is the only time that uh, both lawyers, or lawyers in general, are able to ask questions to the other client, so the defendant or the plaintiff. Both Andrew and I are in depositions maybe two or three times a week. These depositions, depending on how complex uh, the case is, usually it runs for a whole day from 10 to 5 p.m. or at times when more days are required, it might run you know, two, three, four days in a row. And the good thing about depositions now, as you know, is most of them are done by video and our clients are able to attend from the comfort of their home. Let's start with talking about when you're deposing what are your goals and objectives? What are you trying to learn? In order for us to prepare, uh, we generally look back to, you know, how the accident occurred, police records, police files, dash cams, uh, any statements that are relevant or any witness statements that uh, have been noted by the police. Generally speaking, we try to ask them questions to try to have them admit that they were not paying attention on the road, they were not following a safe distance. On a typical motor vehicle accident, how much time do you need to spend with the, with the opposing party asking questions? It's a very lawyery answer, but it depends. Let's say motor vehicle accident, that's you know a simple rear ender. A deposition with the defendant would last maybe anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour. Well, I've been involved in depositions with like trucks and multi-vehicle where it could go over the course of days. By the time you complete all these um, examinations of all the all the parties involved. More complex cases such as slip and fall cases are a bit more complex in terms of uh, trying to ascertain liability or who's at fault for the negligence that caused the slip and falls. A motor vehicle accident where it's contested of who ran the stop sign, ran the red light, you know, those generally take a bit more time uh, to get the evidence that you do require or admissions from the defendant. But how do you know that the, that the witness you're asking questions is telling you the truth and not just making up facts to protect themselves? Eventually their story starts to seem absurd or it doesn't make sense because they have to use one lie to cover the other lie. Then as a lawyer, this is where you try to remember and try to nitpick on what they have said before and try to make their story uh, sound very not logical or not, or not at all believable. And it doesn't add up, it doesn't make sense. Trying to show all the inconsistencies. What if you have a witness that's really cooperative? Lawyers generally like to ask leading questions. So you're basically pinpointing the answers that you're trying to get. You knowing the facts as well or better than your witness. And you put it towards them. And you kind of are leading them to give you the appropriate answer. So isn't it true that on this day, the accident occurred at this time? Yes. You agree with me that the weather was like this? Yes. You agree with me that it was straight and level? Yes. You agree with me that you had a clear and unobstructed view of the roadway in front of you? Yes. Your car was in good mechanical condition, correct? Yes. All of those admissions add up to the facts that, that you're trying to present. 
but there's a distinction on leading questions. So as lawyers, we're not allowed to ask leading questions of our own witnesses. So that would include our client or any witness we call at trial. There's a presumption that that person's already on your side. So the law says you cannot ask your own party, your own witnesses leading questions. You have to ask them open-ended questions. But when you're examining the adverse party, you can lead them because the presumption is they're not going to be as cooperative with you. On television or in movies, the lawyer stands up and objects and says leading question. It's because that's their own witness. But leading question is a very, very powerful tool if done right for a lawyer examining the opposing party. Let's talk about the typical deposition occurring via Zoom today, sort of how the process unfolds. So on the call, um, you know, when we are deposing the defendant, for example, who's on the Zoom call includes the defendant, their legal representative or their lawyer, a court reporter, you know, us as a lawyer questioning the witness who's also present. When it's switched, when our client is being asked questions, and obviously, you know, Andrew or I will be on the Zoom call uh, to object to any questions that aren't relevant. Our client will be there. Um, the defense lawyer who's asking the question will be there, as well as the court reporter will be there. So what happens if the other lawyer is being very obstructive? They're being, you know, very not at all accommodating. They're being dismissive, objecting to every single question that you ask. How would you personally deal with that? Okay, so first off, I'll say thankfully, most lawyers are pretty cooperative. As long as your questions are fair and reasonably calculated to lead to the discovery of relevant information. But occasionally you do encounter lawyers that just want to object to everything, even relevant questions, and just block you at every turn. The way I deal with that is I will usually say, okay, your objection's noted, I'm going to ask the question anyway, and you can object or refuse. So I wanna put all of my questions on the record, you know, and I'll be really upfront at the discovery and tell them I need to ask these questions because I want a clear transcript because I intend to bring this up to a judge and have a judge rule on whether those are valid questions or not. Most lawyers tend to back down, uh, I find, and if they don't, you can get a court to rule on it. And if I have a lawyer that's rude or condescending to, to my client during a discovery, I'll just note it on the record repeatedly so that it's reflected in the transcript. Okay, do you find it as beneficial or, or, or harmful for your clients to be deposed via Zoom? Again, it depends on the client. Some clients prefer that they're not in the same room with someone who's questioning them in depth. They might feel a bit intimidated um, if it's being questioned in person as, as opposed to Zoom. If it wasn't in Zoom uh, and it was in person, then it would be in a boardroom. It feels more formal than it would be in the comfort of their own home. Yeah, that's, my, that's been my experience too. I think most clients prefer to do it by video. Why don't you share how you prepare your clients for their examination for discovery? Uh, let's say a day or two days before, uh, we generally meet with the client on the phone uh, just to go over some key points with them. General rules that we give to our client is to, first of all, make sure you understand the question before answering the question. The second uh, rule is if they don't understand the question, have them let the other lawyer know so, so that they can rephrase the question. The third rule is um, if at any point in time, they don't remember or they don't know the answer to the question uh, to basically just say that they don't remember the answer instead of just guessing because no one wants answers that are just a mere guess. And the most important rule is I tell my clients to always tell the truth during a deposition. So Andrew, what do you do to prepare uh, 
yourself for a deposition. So I have a deposition coming up tomorrow. It's a more complicated case in terms of liability fault. It's highly contested. There were criminal charges in that case, so there's extensive documents and statements and accident reconstruction. So my preparation involved going through all the documents collected, all of the statements, speaking with my client to get his recollection of events. And then really my prep for the defendant, I start off with what do I want to get from him? What do I need to achieve? What admissions do I want? And what document have I already read that supports that? And then I create a checklist. In this case, there was data from the vehicle, right? So, so a lot of people don't know this, but your motor vehicle actually records the last few seconds up to impact. And that's because the computers in the car need that information to decide whether to deploy airbags, to tighten the seat belts. So in this particular case, that information reveals that the defendant was speeding. And this accident happened in the evening and are in an area without a lot of lighting. So speed to me is a major factor. And I know I want that admission that he's speeding, but I also look to other documents that I know I can prove it other ways. So I can impeach this person, uh, even if I don't get that admission. And then I start to craft my questions. But that's only the first part. Then I also need my client to give evidence that's consistent with, with what we know. So part of my preparation is also preparing the client to help refresh their recollection. I love it when they don't know or they don't remember. Because obviously if they don't know or they don't remember, then I just want to lock them down on that. Your memory is fading with time. And six months earlier, you probably had a better memory. They start evading questions because they say they have a poor memory because of time and lock them down. Here's what we have. We have the police report. Take a look at it. Does that help you refresh your recollection? No, it doesn't. Because at that point, your goal then is to just lock down the witness that they don't know. And they're not going to know. Because otherwise, if you leave it open-ended, then if I was the defense lawyer, I'd go back after the deposition. I'd sit down with my client, show him all these records, and basically be able to supplement his testimony. So at that point, what we're trying to avoid is change in evidence. I write out all my questions. Even after nearly 20 years of practicing, I still write out the questions. And I don't really stick to the script, but it helps me prepare. As I'm writing the questions, thinking of the answers, I'm kind of playing it through in my mind because I also learn what I don't know when I go through that process. And I also learn what I do know about the case. Well, what do you do when you're at the Discovery? Are you taking notes? What are you doing? You know, we take notes as to uh, what answers our client gives, what answers the defendant gives. It's an important step because you get to see how your, your client presents as a witness. It's not only what they say, it's, it's how they say it. So are they likable? Are they believable? Are they credible? Some clients want to know how they did. If it's a client that wants to know how they did, I'll generally call them on the phone after and just tell them they did a good job. I don't want to throw a whole bunch at them right after their deposition because it's an exhausting process for the client. We hope you found this useful and informative. And if you've got any questions, feel free to give us a call. You can reach out to us anytime. Our telephone number is listed in the show notes below. Thanks for watching.